1: Good morning. I'm Ann Romer. Welcome to Ponies 24-7, the radio magazine. The road to the Kentucky Derby stops in Florida and Arkansas this week, and it's at Gulfstream Park where we find track handicapper and Gulfstream broadcast team member Brian Natto. He will join us today to discuss the grade one Curlin Florida Derby with a $1 million purse up for grabs. Twelve three-year-olds have been entered in today's classic event, which is the headliner at a stakes-filled Gulfstream card. Brian will break down the Florida Derby and offer insight into everything else going on today at Gulfstream Park. Also today, now this is really interesting. Equine artist Michelle Hogan drops by the show. She is featured in the recently released Ponies 24-7 magazine. She's highly respected in the field of equine art. Her specialty is harness racing art, which includes business partnerships with several standard red tracks, including Hanover Raceway and Truro Raceway in Nova Scotia. Shortly, she will join us to talk about her incredible artistic talent and how she's turned her equine passion into a thriving business. Friend of the show, Woodbine Mohawk Park Racing Secretary Tony O'Sullivan is also our guest today, and who better to talk about the upcoming spring-summer calendar of racing than Tony. Lots to say when it comes to this hot topic, and here's my question. How is he liking his relatively new job, that of Racing Secretary? And finally, he's back. My wonderful co-host Larry Simpson will once again try to sniff out some potential betting gems at Woodbine Mohawk Park and some other North American tracks racing today with our Ponies Picks of the Day, sponsored by Rocketship Racing. It's going to be a great show. Please get your HPI and Dark Horse accounts ready to go for some heavy-duty action today. When we return, Larry Simpson will join us as we catch up on some recent horse racing
0: news. Ponies 24-7, the radio magazine, brought to you by Woodbine, Woodbine Moh- Mohawk. Mohawk Park, Ontario Racing, and Rocket Ship Racing. More from the track when we
2: come back on 1059 The Region. Go from Dark Horse to Winner. Dark Horse is Woodbine's new easy to use betting app that brings the thrill of the track right to you. Its AI powered insights and strategies help you make smarter bets straight out of the gate.
4: Join us on April 1st when Gulfstream Park hosts the $1 million Curlin Florida Derby, a highlight of the Gulfstream Championship racing season and considered by many to be one of the most important preps for the famed Kentucky Derby on the first Saturday in May. The Curlin Florida Derby has a tremendous stakes-filled day of racing with a total of 10 stakes races scheduled, and you can watch and wager on all Gulfstream Park race days, including Florida Derby Day on April 1st with your HBI bet account or Dark Horse app. It's the next best thing to being at the track.
1: Welcome back to Ponies Twenty Four Seven, the radio magazine. I'm Ann Romer, and let me introduce you to a man who meet, needs no introduction. That would be my co-host Larry Simpson. Hey, Larry.
5: Hey.
6: How are you?
1: Well, I'm wishing that we were somewhere other than uh, the southern Ontario part of the world. The road to the Kentucky Derby is well underway.
6: Yeah, the road starts, or uh, while well, it continues, it's been it started a few weeks ago. But uh, yeah, we have the Arkansas Derby uh, today, and. Uh, Good luck to friend of the show, Robertina Diodoro, and uh, airtime. Uh, we had uh, Robertino on here last week, and uh, yeah, let's see if his uh, $50,000 claim makes good today. Wouldn't that be great? It would be. It At- would. It would. So, And we also have the uh, Florida Derby today, and. Uh, Probably the weather's going to be a lot better than what it is here, Yeah, I just
1: checked uh, today, Saturday, and the weather for the next week looks fantastic, but it's been raining up until today. So Mm -hmm. why don't we go trackside, if you will, and uh, we speak with Brian Natto, who is a friend of the show and so glad to have you back again. Handicapper and also a member of the broadcast team at Gulfstream Park. So... I understand that it is nice and dry today and sunny, but the weather has maybe hampered the the uh, ability for the horses to navigate the track this, today and and over the weekend.
7: Yeah, and thanks, and Larry, great to be with you again. Um, yeah, it's unfortunate we started uh, Curling Florida Derby Week with some rain, which is uh, just has not been the case uh, all winter long. Basically, we really didn't lose anything to rain. Unfortunately, early this week we did, but, uh, you know, Friday was, was ready to roll and now Saturday uh, weather looks good and the turf and the, the main track is, is fast, so we are ready to roll here and uh, really looking forward to the big show later this afternoon. Mm-hmm.
6: Well, let's talk about the big show. Uh, you know, what, what is it, Brian, that makes the Florida Derby, you know, so special on the Kentucky Derby Trail?
7: yeah well you know larry you get a true two turn mile and an eighth race and, and i think that's important you know just
6: here at goldstein
7: park we ran the fountain of youth um in early march and forte was so impressive winning it but that's a short stretch finish line and now these three-year-olds really stretch out to a true nine for a long mile and an eighth race the longest race many of them have run and I think at this point in the year, you mentioned Arkansas, and they fit into this as well. I think it starts to separate the pretenders from the contenders in oh. the Kentucky Derby because, obviously, the mile and a quarter on the first Saturday in May. But you can really get some separation, even going a mile and a an eighth.
1: Brian, who have you got your eye on for this race?
7: Forte is legitimately two to five in this race, and... and Post position is not ideal. You do not want to be outside like he is going nine furlongs on the main track at Gulfstream Park. It is a quick run to the first turn. But with that being said, he is so far and above everyone else in this race. He he not only has to regress and or find some trouble in this race, the rest of them have to improve open lengths as well. And I think that's when you're talking about a strong, heavy favorite. Um, that's a problem for everyone else, because not only does he have to come back to them, the others have to move forward to get to him. And the other thing is, unfortunately for some of these other horses, if there's one horse in the race, it's probably going to like the nine furlongs and the true finish line a lot better than the rest. It's four K, So, uh, it could be a long day, long afternoon for the rest of these. So he is undoubtedly he's four to five on the morning line, and he's really about two to five on paper.
6: You mentioned about post-position and and the short run Mm -hmm. to the turn, and you also have the 12-horse, L, right, that uh, won the Remsen, went in, and and was the favorite for the Sam Davis at Tampa, and and basically got steadied and and basically knocked out of the race, you could say. And he's got the twelve. Is there any way that uh, Jose Ortiz could maybe carve out a trip for that guy and and maybe surprise?
7: He's a tricky horse because, as you said, Larry, he he just if there was a toss-up race Tampa. I, I get that he had a nightmare trip and all that, but his lone race that's. Competitive was a sloppy track Remsen, and, and uh, he's, to me, a horse I, I'd be willing to play against, you know, some of the other favorites, like a Fort Bragg, light cyclone, Mischief, they're outside. Um, so, I'm looking for prices. A horse like Mage has a world of talent. He only ran once. He didn't disgrace himself in the Fountain Youth when he was fourth, and he didn't break that day. So, with a more alert beginning, he should be right up on the lead. Nautical Star is one of two for Sappy Joseph Jr. that are private purchases. His workout the other day was awesome. So, uh, I, I kind of like Mage a little bit underneath. I don't think he can beat Forte, but I do think he's a horse with a lot of talent.
1: So the Florida Derby is the highlight of the event of 10 stakes races uh, on the card today. Can you give us an idea of what those races look like and what could be exciting for each or all of them?
7: Yeah, certainly. And the the Gulfstream Park Oaks is a a big deal because this is the first time this winter that the three-year-old fillies here are going to run two turns. Now, it is a mile and a sixteenth. That's a short stretch, but... A lot of them now because the Kentucky Oaks is up next and this is essentially an automatic qualifier with all the points on the line. So you get to see some of those horses, a horse like Miracle, first time with Todd Fletcher in her last start, really impressed when she ran second in the Rachel Alexandra. Dorf Vader, the house horse here at Gulfstream, was awesome winning the Devona Dale. Now she's got to improve and show she can do it at two turns. So, you know, there's a lot on the line, not only in the race itself, but moving forward to the first Friday in May for the girls and the three-year-old uh, Kentucky uh, Oaks. So that, that. that's a lot of excitement. We've got the turf races as well, and you know the three-year-olds are in the spotlight but the older horses too and the sand springs and then the marathon earlier in the card when they go long on the turf we've got some good stakes horses in the ghost sapper the grade three so there really is a little bit of everything um the pools are going to be huge the million dollar late pick five all stakes 750 in the late pick four all stakes and Those are the guarantees, and and I'll give you one more guarantee. They will be way, way more than $750 and a million dollars. And those are the type of plays, you know, horse players love, gamblers love, because the pools are are so lucrative on these big race days.
6: When we had you on last, Brian, a few weeks back, we talked about, you know, how popular the Gulfstream uh, meet, the championship meet was, and the betting handles were, were great has that continued even like moving into Florida Derby day?
7: Oh, oh, without a doubt. I mean, it's just so much, um, you know, we have the turf down here, Larry, and and the, over the winter, the, that's a big deal and you see the horses and the full fields and the, and again, it goes back to the bedding pools and things like that. I just think in the weather too, of course. So there's just a lot of excitement and this is closing week and, and, uh, you know, Sunday, um, we'll have a mandatory payout in the Rainbow Six as well. And it hasn't been hit uh, as of yet. And Sunday, you know, it could be $10 million in that uh, mandatory payout. And it's all got to go. So, um, you know, we we're, championship week closes down with a bang. That is for sure.
1: <laughs> and another part of this, Brian, Gulfstream has Hall of Fame connections. How important is that?
7: Yeah, I mean, you've got the the who's, who's who. You know, certainly Todd Pletcher has wintered down here for, for years and years and years, the Hall of Famer, and then the jockeys' colony. You know, Javier Castellano, a Hall of Famer, has really... I don't know if a resurgence is the right word, because it's not like he ever went away, but he is really riding in great form down here in the championship meet. And, you know, certain Hall of Famer like an Irad Ortiz and Luis Saez, they're here, and, and Irad has... Sai has won this title last year and he's been out of town and, and a little bit of here there kind of thing irad has essentially lapped the competition it's it's remarkable what he's done and riding on a day in day out basis his form is just second to none so we you know we've got we've got those guys and the trainers bill Mott is here running you know it's just I feel like everybody kind of focuses on this championship meet and they all show up and um, it, it's Really cool to see, and um, like I said, on a day out, day out, day in, day out kind of basis.
6: I've noticed too, Brian, that the tapita surface seems to be getting a lot of use now. And you know, when you were on last time, uh, we talked about the tapeta, and and was there any you know variant? Was it a speed variant track? Was it a you know come from behind track or that? It, it stood the test of time now, right? And you can pretty much judge: is, is it a speed favored? Uh, track or what?
7: It's tricky, Larry. um, And it's, it's, it's interesting too. When you route on the torpedo, when you go two turns on the torpedo, you really don't want to be in front. And the statistics uh, kind of back it out. Our friends at horse racing nation have provided us a lot of graphics throughout the course of the meet. And I do think they've been pretty good, uh, you know, testaments to how races play out. Routing, On the tapita, you want to be settled a little bit. You want to be stalking. You want to be closing. Speed doesn't hold up that well. And I say that no matter how fast or slow they go. Conversely, when you sprint the five and the five and a half, and it's a really tight, quick trip, oftentimes it just doesn't matter how fast you go. Speed doesn't come back. Upwards of 90% of the races are won by horses, you know, within two or three lengths or on the lead early on and so uh you know that's kind of just something to think about as you handicap and of course we have it all year now um you want to be stalking routing and you want to be close horses just aren't going to loop the field from the back sprinting on the tapita
1: in fact Gulfstream has three racetrack surfaces tapita being one of them yeah. can you describe the others
7: well the turf is um you know we, we brought back turf racing uh on december 4th I think it was December 1st, actually. And, you know, the turf course typically plays a little speedy. It's a, it's a firm, fast turf course, as you can see it out there. There's no doubt about it. It's not, a, a, it, it's not necessarily a deep or tiring turf course. It can play to speed, especially when it's on the firm side. And, um, you know, speed, speed kills, as they say in handicapping. You always want to be front. And, and certainly on the main track here, I feel it's a general recipe for handicapping success that you you're not going to win a lot of races um trying to trying to pick horses that come from the back. And the, the main track is is another one that I don't want to say it can be speedy, but again, you're 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 against the profile of most race tracks if you're trying to come from way out of it. So I always to me look for speed and I always Um, if not looking for speed, I look, look for the pace of the race and to see, because if there's not a lot of heat in there, not a lot of speed up front, it's going to be tough to come from
6: behind. When you put your handicapping hat on, is there one angle, one betting angle that is kind of like your go-to one, especially if you're desperate for a winner, you know? (laughs)
8: <laughs> <laughs> well, again, I always
7: look at the flow of the race. If you can find a race where there's out, uh, you know, you've got a confirmed front runner and a horse that's not going to take a lot of pressure, as a handicapper, to me at least, I, I think that's the ultimate situation. When, when you have a horse that you can identify and dictate the terms and make everyone else play their game. Uh, they're going to be tough to run down. And that, that that's even more so if you're sprinting on the tapita or on the main track. Turf. I really love lone, loose speed routing on the turf because you, know, you can get a horse that can get into a nice rhythm and make everyone else struggle to keep up with that horse. That can be a devastating angle for a handicapper.
1: You, know, you wear two hats at Gulfstream. One is handicapping. And I remember from our last interview, you love to figure out the puzzle. You see it as a bit of a competition. But you put the work in. Let's also talk about being a part of the broadcast team. So this is probably a really busy and challenging day for you.
7: Yeah, without a doubt. I and mean, we've got a lot going on. We'd like to do winter circle interviews for the graded stakes, and there's ten stakes on the card today. Um, you know, we've got a press conference for the Florida Derby, but we've got a lot of help and a lot of talented people down here, and uh, you know, that help out on big race days like that as well. So, you know, we've got a, a team that is second to none down here at, at Gulfstream Park, and um, our, our press our press office here is, is tremendous. Everybody that that is part of it on a, on a day in and day out basis. So uh, I, we're very fortunate. And, and I, that line starts in front, you know, with me, I feel very, very fortunate um, to be a part of it. And, and not only to be a part of it on, you know, your, your curl in Florida Derby day, but to be a part of it on a daily basis down here with, with Ron and, and uh, Samantha and, and uh, you know our, our boss Dave Joseph and, and everybody Ed and Phil and we've got great help down here Angela Herman has helped us out it's just a, a really really um, it's not a job you know it's it's uh, it's fun to come to work and and when you can say that and when you can do that uh, you know you, you should feel very very fortunate.
1: Well I think that shows big time by what you've said. Again,
7: yeah, it's you know, you see us out there. The other thing, too, I, I, I feel like uh, we have a, a hell of a lot of fun here, too. I mean, it's work. Okay, don't get me wrong. It's work, and we're going to run 14 races today. And, yeah. and uh, you know, I've, I've been here since 7 o'clock this morning, but we have a lot of fun with what we do, too. And, and this is a fun, fun game, and this is a fun day as well to see the people here um, enjoying themselves, and you're going to see a world-class product on display from race run one to race 14 and and as as you and Larry you and Ann know if the Kentucky Derby was run today you know Forte is probably eight to five in a 20 horse field and that's a that is a strong favorite and we get to see it uh well we get to see it twice this this winter you know Uh, front and center here a two-year-old champion coming back and and certainly at at this point at least looks better than ever uh, as a three-year-old so um you know very exciting times
6: Brian Once again, fantastic. Here's to many winners today, for you and I both. (laughs) And uh, we'll have you on real soon. Larry, anytime
7: you guys uh, need anything, I really appreciate it. And all the best. Have a good day.
1: And well done. And, And best of luck. And it was just great. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Brian.
7: Sounds good. Take care.
1: When we come back, equine artist Michelle Hogan joins us today on Ponies 24-7, The Radio Magazine.
0: Ponies 24-7, The Radio Magazine, brought to you by Woodbine, Woodbine Mohawk Park, Ontario Racing, and Rocket Ship Racing. Follow us on Twitter at 1059TheRegion. We'll be right back.
8: Pineview Hyundai, the smart choice of automobile dealerships, combining horses and horsepower. For over 35 years, the Romeo family has been a part of the Ontario thoroughbred racing industry. And they want to invite you to their Pineview dealership to view their award winning Hyundai lineup today, as the Hyundai Advantage sales event is on now. Come see us at 3790 Highway 7 in Vaughan. Call us at 905-851-2851 to make an appointment. Or visit our website, pineviewauto.com, and see why Pine View Hyundai remains the smart choice.
5: one vision
0: this is 105.9 the region ponies 24 7 the radio magazine covering the world of horse racing is brought to you by woodbine woodbine mohawk park ontario racing and rocket ship racing over to your hosts ann romer and larry simpson
1: Welcome back to Ponies 24-7, the radio magazine, soon-to-be friend of the show, Ontario-based equine artist Michelle Hogan joins us. I want to get right to this, Larry. This woman is so artistic and so interesting, and the fact that horses are at the center of her universe makes her so special in our eyes. Welcome to the show, Michelle Hogan.
9: Thanks for having me.
6: All right, let's uh, get right into it, Michelle. Michelle. One of the things I, I think that makes you different from any of the other equine artists is the fact that you chose pen and ink, which is basically a different format than what other people are using, right? Why did you choose this?
9: Well, I've always loved the dark shadows, the, the contrast between shadow and light, the way that it plays off the horse's coat, or even just the shadows across the track. They really, they really bring a different aspect of that story to, to my art. And what drew you to drawing horses? Growing up, I loved horses. But in particular, the standard breads came into play when I was about 14, and I was told by my parents to go get a job.
8: Mm-hmm.
9: So the first place I went was Flamborough Downs, because it was just down the road from where I grew up, and that's where that love story started.
6: And really it was your, I guess, experience in the standard bread industry that, led to you becoming an artist, correct? Like, talk about, you know, basically this experience that, you know, got all your information and and got so attracted to equine art.
9: I've always been drawing since, you know, I was very young age. I was in an adult art class from the time that I was 10 years old. But the standard print industry did shape me as an artist.
1: You know, I'm looking at Ponies 24-7, Volume 9, Issue 1, 2023, which is released right now, and you are one of the feature stories. And I'm looking at some of your art, and it is exquisite. It is so detailed. How did you learn to understand the movement, the motion, the muscles of
9: horses? Um, As I said, I worked on the track from a young age. I worked as a groom. I worked as an assistant trainer. I worked on a breeding farm, so I was delivering foals and great hands-on experience with the horses. More recently, I worked as a veterinarian's assistant for three years, and I had my hands on horses' legs. I was observing x-rays every aspect of horse anatomy i was right there hands-on with it and it really helped my work to develop to a new level at after that point
6: you mentioned that uh it, it's a very different format i guess you could say of trying to get a horse accurately i know i couldn't even do a, a stick drawing of a horse <laughs> right so, so so for you to <laughs> so for you to do it like a like a pen and ink and have the equipment on it that that the horse is wearing, because we're talking standard breds that wear a lot of equipment, it's it's an extreme talent, isn't it?
9: (laughs) (laughs) I try to be humble, of course, but uh, it took a lot of time and a lot of practice to get to where I am today.
1: You know, I find it interesting, and I'm still looking at the magazine as we are all talking, and you also include sort of the front version of a standard bread, of a of a harness race going on. So that includes the equipment. It includes a human as well, the driver. So I mean, there's an extra part of your talent
9: well, the the driver is always what I leave for last because <laughs> I, I do not look forward to drawing people, but I always say it can make or break the drawing because, if it's not the driver that people expect to see, then I've failed essentially. <laughs> the horse can be perfect, but if that's not Doug McNair, people are going to know. And 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 do you
1: go to races and draw from from li- what's going on live around you,
9: or do you draw from memory? Mostly, I draw from photos. Oh. The action at the track, obviously, is a little too too quick for me to capture on site. I can do basic sketches, but I prefer to, you know, use my camera and bring the photos home and, you know, take a look at them over several days, weeks, and see which ones speak to me.
6: Well, talk about some of the work that you have done and some that you, that you're you're working on and that, talk about some of them.
9: Well, the ones that we discussed in the magazine have all been wrapped up. Sylvia Hanover was delivered to the trainers, and they absolutely love her. (laughs) I finished up with Bulldog Hanover recently as well, and that original drawing sold quite quickly. There are prints available because he is quite popular. I'm back to working on a couple other smaller commissions. I've got a commission right now of a horse. From Hanover Raceway. And beyond that, I have a couple more commissions lined up and then I'll have the summer season coming in with uh, the stakes races. So lots online for what's coming up.
1: And how do people connect with you or or how do tracks connect with you? How do people in the horse racing industry, why do they reach out to you and how do they reach out to you?
9: Most often they've seen my work on Facebook these days. Mm. Social media is a big part of what I do. Um, beyond that, they they will find my website and contact me through the contact forms there.
6: You alluded earlier to racetracks and that. Talk about uh, the partnerships that you have with uh, a track like Hanover and upcoming with uh, Truro Raceway in Nova Scotia. What does a partnership involve?
9: With Hanover, I've had a, a three-year partnership where I've drawn a race portrait of the winner of the Dream of Glory trots for them and also a head portrait of the winner of the balanced image trot for them. And really all that involved was a little bit of advertising on their part in exchange for the work that I did. And we also would throw on a couple of program covers now and then to you know, bring a little more interest. I expect something similar probably with Truro, with but I, I obviously still have to work out the details with Steve on that one. And in the past, other than that, I've done program covers for several different tracks in Ontario. And how did
1: the Truro partnership come about?
9: Well, Steve used to be with Hanover, and now he's with Truro. So three years of partnership with Steve, and I guess we're going to continue on in
1: his new location. You also have a charitable part of you and your business. Why is that important to you?
9: I like to give back to the industry that, I, I guess you could say, almost raised me. I spent a lot of time as a teenager growing up on the back stretch of Flamborough Downs and the people and the horses, their family, so I like to give back in any way that I can through the charitable organizations that benefit our community.
6: Talk about that—you uh, were or you are basically a lifer in the, in the sport. Uh, give me the the steps from as you said you were fourteen. You started as a groom at Flamborough, and then what were the the next steps and and, and where where did they take place?
9: Well, from Flamborough, I, I was working as a groom there for a couple of years. And then I was working for a breeding farm just outside the Flamborough area called Obade Ranch. And we stood stallions like uh, Carlsbad Camp was there under orders. Um, you know, and I, I spent a lot of time there. We trained young horses. We bred mares. We fold out mares. So there was a lot of hands-on experience there. Then I ended up back at Flamber Downs, again, working as a groom and assistant trainer for a few years. And after that, I took a little short break where I I worked on a dressage farm, just kind of take a a break from the stresses of of the racing industry. And then I ended up working for the veterinarian that I mentioned for for three years before before we ended up ultimately moving to the Bruce Peninsula. And since then, it's been my artwork has been my foot in the door.
1: And you've kept your foot in the door for a very long time in many ways, as you just mentioned, but why did you then land on equine art?
9: There is no other art in my eyes. It's it's what I've always loved to do. I tried doing landscapes a little bit just based on the area that we live in. It wasn't what made me happy.
6: I know when we did the interview, um, I asked you about the fact that... uh, equine artists are a small breed and uh, why, why are they a small breed? Why is there not that many equine artists now?
9: Uh, yeah, I'm really not entirely sure, but it seems that the majority of equine artists that stick it out are hands-on involved in some way in whatever industry it is that they draw. You'll have thoroughbred artists who own thoroughbreds and breed thoroughbreds and you have me who... You know, I've always been involved in the standard bread industry. There's a few Western artists that I know of in Canada, and they're all, you know, they're horse people. And it takes that intimate knowledge of the horse to really portray it accurately. Would it be fair
1: to ask you to walk us through the process? So you mentioned that you take photographs, and then you take it back home and you work on it. So what happens? How, step by step, do you go from the photograph to the finished product?
9: Well, everything starts with a good photo. I want to make sure that everything is exactly the way I want. The composition is going to work. And once I have that photo that I like, then it's a matter of getting that onto paper. So that's a very detailed pencil drawing that can take several days to accurately get down to what I want it to be. And then there's a process where you you transfer that to the good paper because you don't want to wreck your good paper at the beginning because it's expensive. And from there, once I have the, the pencil drawing onto my final paper, then I go in with the ink. What I do is I I use a, a pen and ink technique called stipple. So my drawings are made up of tiny little dots of ink. So to get the darkest shadows, those dots are on top of each other to the point where you wouldn't even know they were dots. And then as I work across the drawing, you know, each section then gets lighter. So it might start out where all you see is the shadows. And then towards the end, you'll see where the highlights are going to be. And then finally, the finished product.
1: Do you become emotionally involved with the horse?
9: Sometimes. You know, Horses like Bulldog Hanover or some beach somewhere, they're all horses that we, as fans, come to love. And then to draw that horse and put it on paper and then have the people that absolutely love what I did because they love the horse too, and there's that connection.
6: I remember talking to you, And surprisingly, there was a horse that got you interested in Stanabred (laughs) Racing. And it wasn't a a world champion by by any stretch of the imagination, but it was a a champion to you. Uh, Talk about this horse, because maybe some of our listeners have watched this horse race or remember it racing in that. Talk about it.
9: Well, the first day that I walked into the barn for my very first job as a groom. There was one particular horse that caught my eye, mostly because he was white. He also, we, we seemed to form a bit of a connection the time that I was working with him. And he was a bit of a grumpy horse. But mm-hmm. with me, he was, he was kind and gentle. So we often got teased that he was my horse and I was his groom. And, but that horse kept me there. He, he made it. I wanted to be there for him. And I wanted to stay in the industry because I loved him. I loved him. Racing him, I just became intimately involved. I guess you would say.
1: You sound like you're becoming very, you know, emotional about this,
9: almost tearing up. Well, he was claimed from us a couple of times. We got him back once, and then he was claimed again, and he disappeared for a couple of years on me. And this is back before the internet, so it took a little while for me to track him down. I ended up having to contact the the registries, and I eventually found him in Maine. And, again, you know, we didn't have email, so 15-year-old me, 16-year-old me, I, I wrote a letter. They were, they were willing to give me the owner's mailing address but not their phone number, so I wrote a letter. And about a month later, I got a phone call back from them, and he was for sale. My dad and I borrowed a horse trailer, and we, we drove to Maine 14 hours, and we brought him home and he would have been about 11 years old then i worked with him at the track when he was 6 and i ended up keeping him until he passed away at the age of 22 wow
6: and the horse's name was shepherd home there you go
1: oh there you go yep. wow Michelle Hogan, you are an extraordinarily gifted artist, and I can't thank you enough for the work that you do and for just letting us have a little glimpse into your incredible life. People want to see your amazing work. Of course, of course, Ponies 24-7, the magazine, is available, and it has a good uh, look at you and also the work that you do. But also, they can go to your website, harnessartist.com. Thank you, Michelle, so much for joining
9: us. Well, thank you very much.
1: After the break, when we come back, Tony O'Sullivan joins us on Ponies 24-7, the radio magazine.
0: Ponies 24-7, the radio magazine, brought to you by Woodbine, Woodbine Mohawk Park, Ontario Racing, and Rocket Ship Racing. Listen live at
8: 1059theregion.com. Live in Ontario? Ever dreamt about owning a racehorse? You need to take Ontario Racing's Horse Ownership 101 Virtual Seminars. Join horse racing expert Elisa Blow and learn about standard-bred and thoroughbred ownership opportunities in Ontario, with options for every price point. These free sessions are available in a one-on-one setting or as a group. For a list of seminar dates and to book your Ownership Seminar, go to ontarioracing.com horse ownership today.
4: Join us on April 1st when Gulfstream Park hosts the $1 million Curlin Florida Derby, a highlight of the Gulfstream Championship racing season and considered by many to be one of the most important preps for the famed Kentucky Derby on the first Saturday in May. The Curlin Florida Derby has a tremendous stakes-filled day of racing with a total of 10 stakes races scheduled, and you can watch and wager on all Gulfstream Park race days, including Florida Derby Day on April 1st with your HPI bet account or Dark
0: Horse app. It's the next best
4: thing to being at the track.
0: This is 105.9 The Region. Ponies 24-7, the radio magazine covering the world of horse racing, is brought to you by Woodbine, Woodbine Mohawk Park, Ontario Racing, and Rocket Ship Racing. Over to your hosts, Ann Romer and Larry Simpson.
1: Welcome back to Ponies 24-7, still with standard reds and harness racing, uh, the Woodbine Mohawk... Park Race Secretary is Tony O'Sullivan. He joins us on the show today, and Tony, like many, is looking forward to the upcoming months at Woodbine Mohawk Park with some big races planned. Welcome to Pony's 24-7, the radio magazine. Tony.
10: Uh, thank you, Ann. Thank you, Larry. Thanks for having me.
6: Well, it's great to have you on, Tony, again. And uh, before we get into the upcoming stake season at Woodbine Mohawk Park, which we want to drill down on, talk first, the was no racing at uh, Woodbine Mohawk Park this week, and you don't start up until tonight, Saturday, right? So why was there no racing?
10: We start up tonight. Um, it was planned uh, for track maintenance. There's actually the all of the lights around uh, the racetrack have been replaced. Okay. Uh, that started about two to three weeks ago, and this week um, the track was closed so that that they could do that un, uh uninterrupted. Um, there's actually been quite a bit of work done to the grandstand. Things replaced. The paddock where the horses race out of it has been thoroughly cleaned and and updated in in some uh, parts. So I think just general maintenance, and and turned out it was probably a good week not to race because (laughs) the weather's been quite inconsistent.
1: Absolutely. This was good timing. And so today things are back to normal. What are you looking forward to today in terms of races?
10: We have 15 races tonight, uh, which... I don't remember there being 15 races no. at, at Mohawk um, ever. Obviously, with not racing, we we did have more uh, horses to work with because we didn't race uh, Monday, Thursday, Friday. But having said that, the plan, when we took the break, uh, it, it was decided that we were going to try and get uh, at least 14, maybe 15 races and change the, the wagering sequences, and, and um, the wagering guys have, have added an, an extra pick five. And I think to pick four and try and really um, really get a big uh, handle.
6: And I think we should add too, you've got a six o'clock post time tonight, correct?
10: Six o'clock post time, yeah, and that was obviously done because uh, the regular seven o'clock. I mean we yeah, we have a hard time getting twelve or thirteen races off before midnight. So fifteen would be impossible.
6: Yeah, and you lost a a, a day last week too, Saturday because of weather, right? So you've taken some of those races, like the uh, the steak series that you had. The finals are tonight, correct?
10: Yeah, and, and you know what? I mean, that really helped. Um, obviously, very disappointing that it wasn't last weekend and, and whatever for, for the trainers and, and the connections just because the horses are prepped up, ready to go. Mm-hmm. But definitely helped us, uh, you know, going into tonight's card when we did the draw on Thursday, knowing that we already had two full fields that um, were were drawn and, and we didn't kind of have to think about, for lack of a better term. Um, I think we... I do believe we would have got we definitely would have got fourteen races anyway and I and I do think we would have got fifteen. Uh but it certainly helped having two that we already knew we
1: had. And it sounds like a lot of preparation for tonight, but also lots of changes as you've mentioned. What do you think the fans and the batters are gonna feel about this? Uh
10: I, I think the, the the picture quality is going to be fantastic. Uh as they were fixing the the lights and and putting them in um, in segments, uh, some of the drivers commented on on how the difference you know they could definitely tell the difference between the new lights or the sections where the new lights were put up compared to where the old ones were. Um, picture quality is going to be amazing their led state of the art. And uh, I would assume it's going to be as close to daylight as possible.
1: Interesting. Before we move on, that is a, an aspect of, of harness racing that maybe one doesn't think of when it comes to nighttime as well. Will the change in lighting affect the drivers and also affect the horses?
10: Uh, no. I mean, it'll, be, it'll have a positive impact on the drivers in that they, they're going to have a consistent light the, the whole night, uh, obviously very bright. Um, it won't affect the horses at all. I mean, they're not, uh, you know, they're not piercing lights. I mean, they they adjust, their eyes adjust probably quicker than humans. So <laughs> um, it, it's, I think the biggest difference really is going to be picture quality and and uh, maybe for the judges, the lights being better when they have to make a decision in terms of an inquiry, maybe it'll help. Uh, picture quality and, and the high def is, is, I think it's going to be very, very good.
6: All right, let's talk about the upcoming spring-summer meet, uh, Tony, and some of the major stakes races that are on the card obviously the north america cup correct and and uh talk about some some of the other ones
10: north america cup which again is a flagship event um nominations uh i'm not sure if everybody is aware but they the payments for what's called the grand circuit events they actually start on february 15th and and go right until may 15th they're once a month um north america cup payments as of um the February 15 and March 15 closings were slightly up from last year, which is fantastic um, to know that we're potentially going to have a, a deeper um, pool of horses to, you know, to draw from, uh, which is very good for the, for the stakes program. We have the Mohawk Million again. Uh, Bill McClinchy's done a, a wonderful job getting, uh, getting people to, the owners to buy into those slots, uh, so that'll be a go-ahead again, which I know the company's very excited about, and then, you know, we have the William Wellwood that, again, the winner of that, which is a two-year-old trotting cold event, the winner of that will automatically receive a, uh, a position into the Mohawk Million, uh, which, again, was very well received last year, and then, you know, so the undercard, the fan Hanover for three-year-old pacing fillies. The She's a great lady for two-year-old pacing fillity, uh, fillies. The, the Metro for pacing Colts at last year was over 900,000 in, in mm. purse. So um, really, really exciting stuff coming up. We also, uh, in two weeks, we have a, a new series that's being created for uh, Ontario sired four-year-olds. We named it the, the graduate, the Ontario sired graduate, um, and entries, I'm I'm a little disappointed in the numbers that we have for that, but it was a new event that we put on. Hopefully it'll gain traction over the next couple of years. And, and again, just an exciting thing for the Ontario sired horses from last year that they have a, a chance to come back and race for good money and race against their own kind uh, right off the bat as four-year-olds.
1: Well, it sounds exciting to me. And Tony O'Sullivan, as both racing secretary and as a huge fan, which race are you most looking forward to seeing?
10: Uh, my personal favorites, uh, are the Metro and the North America cup. Um, you know, as a, as a trainer, I was lucky enough to win the Metro and I raced in the North America cup a couple of times with, with no luck, but that's okay. We were in it. And, uh, I just think pacing Colts is exciting. Um, they generally go fast and, and it's the best of the best. I mean, all of the grand circuit stakes are the best of the best, but I probably lean towards the Metro and the North America cup for the ones that I really look forward to.
6: Uh, since you were last on, Tony, there, we probably, I know we've got some new listeners, lots of them, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> but uh, sure. t- talk about uh, what's a typical day like for you as a, a racing secretary? Maybe explain your role, what you do, and and what's a typical day?
10: So the, the role of the race secretary is uh, I set all of the conditions for any of the races that you see at Woodbine Mohawk Park, um, except for the stake races. The stake races are, um, I mean, they've been around a long time. They do get tweaked, but that's a that's a group effort, um, and they're kind of set in stone in terms of what they are. But the the day-to-day racing, um, any of the new conditions or or new races that are put on are, are ones that I've come up with, um, talking with my staff and, and the racing director, Bill McClinchy, and just trying to come up with new ideas to draw horses in and also uh, maximize horses earnings potential. Uh, So a typical day for for us or for me is um, usually get to the office around eight o'clock. The phones are answered for for trainers and and owners entering their horses. Uh, A lot of that is done online now. So the phones aren't quite as busy as they would have been five years ago, let alone 10 years ago. Um, And then, basically from 8 o'clock to 10.30, just constantly looking at the computer and seeing what we have in certain classes and trying to get an idea in my head of of how a race is going to be uh, drawn or or the the number of races we're going to have before the entry box is closed at 10.30. And then from, from then till we get the draw done uh, putting the races together, making sure that all of the horses fit in the conditions they've been entered in uh, moving any possible ones that, that may need to go up or down. And with the, sometimes the horse shortage, the supply problems we have combining classes in a way that um, it's beneficial to everybody and not to the detriment of, of anybody if possible. So, um, and then that's published and put out there and, and, uh, you know, a little bit of a recap and then on to the next day.
1: It's a busy day, <laughs> honestly. I'm tired. Yes. We both are sitting down and we need to. <laughs> so, Tony, yeah. you have been uh, race secretary for Woodbine Standard Red Racing now for about a year and a half. How's it going? Do you like the job? Are you able to, to change aspects of it to fit your personality and your experience? Or is it exactly what was sold to you when you were asked to be race secretary?
10: Um, yeah, I mean, the, the job, the job was advertised, so to speak. Um, I do enjoy it. I, I, I have made some tweaks. I, and, and part of that I think is from my experience from being a a trainer for so long and, and racing effectively every caliber of horse you could have. Um, I do think I have an understanding of, of a horse's ability, maybe not based on, on their earnings, um, especially in the, the mid to lower level range. Um, I think that's an advantage for, for this role. Um, and, and so from that, you know, I try to tweak conditions to, um, just come up with, again, as I stated before, just come up with ways that more horses can make money and potentially not as many get sold to the, to the U S which is a quite a big problem. Hmm. Um, and just try and slowly piece by piece grow the business and, um, yeah, just put my, my ideas in. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how I look at it and, and I get a lot of satisfaction out of it. Obviously you, you know, your, your hands are tied a little bit. You're dealing with an animal and, and there's, there's a lot of variables and some days you're, I feel a little disappointed that, you know, the races may not have worked out as I wanted, but in the big picture, um, I think things have gone very well and, and, uh, progressing in the right direction.
6: Well, you've wore many hats. You, you've obviously been a fan of the sport and that got you interested and then you became a trainer and you had a successful training career. And Now you're a racing secretary, but just looking at it, at you know, those three positions or those three roles and that, was there a horse, or I guess just say, what was the greatest horse you ever saw race?
10: Some beach somewhere. And Why? Um, his, you know what, his, his presence on the track. I mean, he was obviously outstanding. His statistics say that Um, I just, you know, you look at pictures of him um, in certain flights uh, when his feet are off the ground. And he's just, to me, the most impressive standard bread I've seen. Uh, There's clearly been lots of champions and I mean, bulldog Hanover is an absolute champion and, and probably hard to say some beach somewhere over Bulldog Hanover. I just think uh, some beach somewhere came along at a time when he was so much better than the rest of them and so dominant. Uh, I do think that the, the, the speed of the standard grade has progressed a lot since then. And, and maybe in some ways what he did was um, not more impressive than Bulldog Hanover at all. But um, at the time, maybe what was needed, and, and, you know, maybe help the business or or the breeding industry turn the corner in terms of speed.
1: Before we let you go, what would be your way of phrasing, just in one sentence, what exactly spring and summer the meets will be like at Woodbine Mohawk Park? How would you sell that to everybody listening right now?
10: The best horses in North America will be there. It's the most exciting time, uh, especially in the summer, and um, if you're a horse fan, from June 1st till October, uh, middle of October, Mohawk, Woodbine Mohawk Park is absolutely the place to see the best athletes on the planet.
1: Bravo, Tony O'Sullivan. Very well done, Racing <laughs> Secretary for Woodbine Standard Red Racing. Thank you so much for joining us on Ponies 24-7, the radio magazine.
10: Great. Thank you, Larry. Thank you, Anne. I appreciate it as always.
1: Cheers. After the break, Larry Simpson looks at some racing action today around North America, including Woodbine Mohawk Park and, of course, some racing at other North American tracks. So make sure your HPI accounts and Dark Horse app are ready to work overtime today. Stay with us for Larry's Pony's Picks of the Day, sponsored by Rocketship Racing.
0: Ponies 24-7, the radio magazine, brought to you by Woodbine, Woodbine Mohawk Park, Ontario Racing, and Rocketship Racing. Listen live at 1059theregion.com.
5: Get your horsepower at OntarioRacing.com and experience the excitement. Ontario Racing. Three breeds, one vision.
8: Pineview Hyundai, the smart choice of automobile dealerships, combining horses and horsepower. For over 35 years, the Romeo family has been a part of the Ontario thoroughbred racing industry. And they want to invite you to their Pineview dealership to view their award winning Hyundai lineup today, as the Hyundai Advantage sales event is on now. Come see us at 3790 Highway 7 in Vaughan. Call us at 905-851-2851 to make an appointment. Or visit our website, pineviewauto.com, and see why Pineview Hyundai remains the smart choice.
0: This is 105.9 The Region. Ponies 24-7, the radio magazine covering the world of horse racing, is brought to you by Woodbine. Woodbine Mohawk Park, Ontario Racing, and Rocket Ship Racing. Over to your hosts, Ann Romer and Larry Simpson.
1: Before we wrap up our show, of course, what would Ponies 24-7, the radio magazine, be without a couple of possible betting opportunities and potential betting gems as Lovable Larry gives us his <laughs> Ponies Picks of the Day, sponsored by Rocketship Racing. Larry, we are all ears.
6: Lovable Larry. Yes, always. always. LL. Okay. <laughs> Let's start at Santa Anita. They have a nine race card today, and race one is an allowance event. Six furlongs on the turf for fillies and mares, three and up, purse of $72,000. There's a contact field of six has been entered, including number three, and I like this name, procrastination.
1: We said that very well. Yeah, he didn't waste time yeah. getting there. No, either.
6: He returned <laughs> from a, uh, who returned from a, a six-month layoff on February 19th at a class higher than today's, and entered that race with probably only an abbreviated workout pattern, you could say. So uh, procrastination raced that day like a horse that needed the race, even though uh, she did take some betting action. Since that start, it looks like uh, trainer Michael McCarthy is serious about a better result today for procrastination with three good work since that last start, including two five-furlong ones, including a March 17th bullet of a minute and two handily. McCarthy is 28% with horses making their second start over a 180-day period. And although this will be procrastination's first start on the grass, she does have some turf breeding. So Santa Anita, race one, number three, procrastination. Oaklawn Park has a 13 race card today, as we mentioned, and race 12 is the Grade 1 Arkansas Derby, a purse of $1,250,000 for 3-year-olds, and it's a mile and an eighth on the dirt. 11 horses have been signed on, and a case can probably be made for just about all of them, but number 10, though, Red Root Run, is a horse that I believe has a lot of appeal in today's Arkansas Derby. In his last race, the Grade 2 Rebel Stakes was almost 20, he was almost 20 lengths behind at one point of the race, only to close in the stretch with a rush to finish second, beating one length. This guy has finished second in both stakes events he's been entered in this year. Both were over a sloppy track. Trainer Steve Asmussen switches to rider Tyler Gafflione today, adds blinkers to Red Route 1, which should help keep him focused a little bit. And this uh, son of gunrunner should like the little more distance of a mile and an eighth. Uh, Red Route Run has worked four times since the Rebel, as the best last race buyer today, and I'm looking for another good performance from him today. Oakland Park, race 12, the Arkansas Derby, number 10, Red Route 1. Woodbine Mohawk Park has a 15 race card tonight with a 6 p.m. post time uh, the, for the first race. That includes Today includes the finals of the New Holland Trotting and Pacing Series finals, which were actually cancelled last week due to weather conditions. Um, last week I selected Ariel Hanover to win the pacing series, and I'm going to go right back to him. Race 7 is the New Holland Pacing Series Final, and Ariel Hanover has drawn Pose 2. If you recall when he was my selection last week, I like this guy, as his race on March 18th, Ariel Hanover drew the 9-hole, raced from off the back, and closed well for 5th, timed in 151 and 4 The week before, Ariel Hanover was a beaten favorite in the first leg of the series, but he went a long way to the, on the front end only to get beat a, a half a length while finishing second. Post two tonight gives driver Louis Roy several opportunities to get early position, and Ariel Hanover looks like he's sitting on a good effort and could get all the spoils tonight, so Woodbine Mohawk Park, race seven, number two, Ariel Hanover. The Meadowlands has a 14 race card tonight, and race 12 is a one-mile pace for a purse of $10,500. Ten horses have been entered, number three, Angers Bayama has been a picture of consistency since being laid off for a month in February and returning to action on March 18th. In that race on the 18th, Angers Bayama went a long way on the front end, only to get beat right on the wire by a half a length. Last week, over a sloppy service, driver Scott Zeron took no prisoners, basically, sending Angers Bayama down the road where he drew off and won by five and a quarter lengths. Angers Bayama is no stranger to winning races. He's won 14 of 47 lifetime. And despite only having four races last year and now four with a win in 2023, he looks like he's in another good position to race well tonight. So the Meadowlands Race 12, number three, Angers Bayama.
1: Larry, fantastic job as always thank you so much and a quick hello a shout out to Mark at Fans of Horse Racing. hello Mark and goodbye to everyone listening, thank you for joining us on this edition of Ponies 24-7 the radio magazine and a little reminder if you'd like to receive a free digital copy of the current issue of Ponies 24-7 magazine, a new one was recently released please email Larry Simpson at theponies247experience at gmail.com and don't forget about the Ponies 24-7 lymphoma Canada campaign, Don't Horse Around with Lymphoma. For more information on this, go to the landing page, lymphoma.ca slash ponies, and please donate to this cause. Stay with 105.9 The Region all weekend long, and thank you so much for listening.
0: Ponies 24-7, the radio magazine with Ann Romer and Larry Simpson has been brought to you by Woodbine, Woodbine Mohawk Park, Ontario Racing, and Rocket Ship Racing. Tune in next Saturday morning at 8 for more from the world of horse racing. This is 105.9 The Region.